We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm David Curtis, and I'm the Worship and Discipleship Pastor here at our Rolling Hills Nolensville campus. Our message today is all about mission. We believe that God has brought us to where we are on purpose for a purpose, whether that's here in our neighborhoods and communities or to the ends of the earth. The time to reach out is now. Let's hear from Pastor Nick. Good morning. I'm really glad that you're here today. I think it's going to be a great Sunday. My name is Nick Allen. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you before, I get to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills, and it's a joy to get to be in this place, to gather together in person, um, and to be able to open up God's Word and discover what it says and what it means for our lives. Um, So they say in America, and I don't know who they is, so I'm about to quote a stat that's probably not true, but I'll give it to you anyway. Okay, they say that the number one fear that any of us have Somebody should have reevaluated this within the last 18 months because that could have changed, but I don't know. Okay, so they say that the number one fear that any of us have is public speaking, okay? And maybe you resonate with that. Like, you're not going to grab a microphone and stand on stage and talk in front of a bunch of people. You get, like, all, like, red-faced and shaky and all those things. I am not afraid of that. Um, you're, you're in luck, okay? This is not scaring me at all today. Um, but I am afraid of what they say is the number two fear in America, which is snakes. In fact, I... Don't even enjoy saying the word, and so I'm going to just tell a quick story and substitute the word flamingo, where there would be snake, because I'm not afraid of those, um, even though sometimes I've heard that they're mean. Okay, so several years ago, my wife called me at work, and she was letting me know that there was a flamingo in our backyard, and that somebody needed to do something about this. And I have no idea why she called me, because I'm the least equipped person ever to take care of flamingo problems that you may or may be having. And so like, there's clearly somebody on the list. Like when you have an issue, you kind of know based on what the issue is, this is who you should call. Like if I have a car problem or installing something electrical in my house that I don't know what to do problem, I've got my buddy Ken Sacrapani on speed dial and he can do anything. And so I'll just call him up, FaceTime him, look at the issue and he'll help me solve it in the moment. Like if I have some sort of like financial problem, I've got my buddy Stan and I can call him and say, Stan, I don't really know what to do about this. I'm thinking about retirement, not at my age, but like in the future, like what it looks like for where we are. So you can call him with that sort of issue. Like if you have a problem, you look at what the nature of the problem is, and then you determine who you're going to call based on their ability to solve it. I am not the one that can come and get a flamingo out of your grass, ever. Um, And so she calls me, and I come up with the next best solution. Go next door. This is several years ago. He's probably in college by now. Go next door to the eighth grader and see if he's home from school, because that family's from Texas, and I think that they're better equipped down there to handle flamingo problems than we are up here. When you have an issue, you, you, you solve the issue by figuring out who's the best possible person to ask for advice or help in that moment. And we have a lot of issues. So who are you going to call when those moments happen? Some of you just said Ghostbusters in your mind. <laughs> it's like, how do you tell somebody they're from the 1980s without saying you're from the 1980s? You say a question like that, and they respond, and they know. Who are you going to call when you have a problem? And we have a lot of problems that that no one can solve, not even the eighth grader from Texas. Like we've got earthquake in Haiti problems, we've got flood in Waverly, Tennessee problems, we've got 
um, a, a, a crippled military situation in Afghanistan problem. We've got a pending hurricane in New Orleans problem. And beyond all of those problems, and we don't know who to call and who to reach out to and who is equipped to help us handle COVID-19 problems, those apparently are escalating again. We've got lots of issues. And, and at the root of them, in some way, is an ultimately very fractured and very disengaged church where even on the inside, none of us agree on what the potential solution is. But what we have to understand, what we have to reconcile, even if we're on different divided lines over what a possible solution is and who we might should call in the moment, we have to understand and agree on that there is a great God in this universe. And so we're going to call on him. And there's a scripture that he's given us to govern and to guard our lives that we're going to consult when we need to know basically what's up in the world and how we're supposed to live and somehow how are we supposed to respond to it because make the list and it's a long one of all the problems and who we're going to call in those moments at the end of the day what you and i have most in the world is a gospel problem what you and i have most in the world is a gospel problem we have this kind of situation and we lose our way and we misunderstand and misinterpret this word, it means that somehow or another we forgot our main mission as a church. We're in the middle of a series this, as we close out this summer and look at the school year called Engage. And what does it mean for us to engage in the life of the church through community? What does it mean for us to engage in the life of the church through discipleship and growing in our faith? What does it mean for us to engage the life of the church in ministry where the body is serving one another? And what does it mean for us to not only engage the life of the church, but as the church engage the whole world and the long laundry list of problems that the world has you know, there's this moment, and you see it on social media all the time, where believers are looking at the problems that we have in the world, and we're throwing up our hands and trying to figure out what in the world we're supposed to do, and we're saying things like, oh, come Lord Jesus. This is about as bad as it's ever been or it's ever going to get, so just go ahead and solve the whole problem by coming Jesus. Well, Scripture doesn't tell us the day that's going to happen, but it does tell us what has to happen first. Matthew 24, 14, it says, and this gospel and this gospel of the kingdom of God will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so if we're looking at the laundry list of our problems and inviting Jesus to come back in the middle of it, because we do see him as the only and best solution to any of the ills that face the world, we can usher that in more quickly, not necessarily through prayer, although that's great, not necessarily through scripture study, although that's great, but ultimately through the proclamation of the gospel, because the nations need to hear it. He goes on to tell his disciples, he gives them this story, and he says, hey, look at the harvest. It's, it's ripe, and it's ready. Look at the harvest. It's plentiful, but the laborers are few. So you pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send workers to come in. And here's the deal. When we pray that prayer and when we seek God's counsel, what we have to be okay with in the moment is that the workers that he's sending is us. And so the question is, are we going to answer it? Paul explained uh, to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 10 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone from among all nations who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he asks a whole bunch of questions like, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? Like, why are they going to call on Jesus if they don't believe who he is? And how can they believe in the one that they have? How can they believe in Jesus and call on Jesus if they've never heard of Jesus? And then he asks a question, and how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. People still need to hear. 
preached means proclaimed. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness. Who are we going to call on? We'll call on him. And then the question is, what if he calls out us? Our, Our primary text this week comes from passage of scripture in the book of Matthew chapter 25 and you can grab your Bibles and turn there and we're going to read the the third of three stories in Matthew 25 that are all about the apocalypse, all about end times, all about the last days. This is a portion of Jesus's sermons, the fifth discourse that Matthew records, the fifth sermon. Jesus apparently was not afraid of public speaking either. This one is most likely just taught to his intimate group of disciples. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's taught on the Mount of Olives literally right before his arrest and his trial and his condemnation and crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection. This is right before the end. And Jesus explains to his disciples, starting in verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And we'll get to the moment in the story where we start to figure out where we are in the narrative. Like we'll get to the part where it says who you and I think that we are in this particular story of Jesus. But you can't go past the first line where he says, and the son of man will come in all his glory. This is a guy who's speaking to a crowd of people, one of which has already betrayed him. Another of which is about to deny him. The rest of which are going to forsake him. And yet he says he comes as a glorious king. He's literally never had anything going from place to place town to town, living on the streets, and yet he says with all his angels with him and sits on a glorious throne, this is Jesus. We don't have to go further down into the story to recognize and realize what the ultimate point is. It's all about him. He says all the nations in verse 32 will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, it's the opposite. He says, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me, and I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do, For one of the least of these you did not do for me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will enter eternal life. This is one of those passages, scriptures, that ought to come with a warning label. It's like the back of a brownie box that says, oven temps may vary. This one's coming in hot, and you can follow the instructions from scripture all you want to, but at the end of the day, somehow or another, our interpretations may lead us down a path that we don't necessarily need to go often in studying scripture and trying to figure out, well, what does Jesus mean by this? It's, it's typically and usually the simplest interpretation that makes the most sense and probably the one that we ought to land on. But in this case, 
if we're really reckless with this passage of scripture, it can cause us to adopt a works-based theology that says to you, if you are nice to people in need, you go to heaven. And if you're selfish with people in need, well, you go to the other place. And we've got a whole theology that's built on the idea of you doing the right thing at the right time and avoiding the wrong thing at the wrong time in order to achieve God's grace in life. That idea does not fit with the whole of Scripture that explains to us over and over and over again. It's not about the things that we do or don't do. It's ultimately and only all about Jesus. Scripture doesn't speak to that. It doesn't tell us to adopt a works-based scorecard. It doesn't tell us that if we're walking around living our life serving other people, then our chances of getting in are really, really good. That's not the picture of the gospel. So, so what does it even mean in this moment? It, it, it's, it's jumping to the next characters in the story. You've got the shepherd and the sheep and the goats. This story would have made sense to people who had herding as a large part of their agricultural economy. This picture of sheep and goats was a familiar one. The people of Jesus' audience would have understood this, not in the way that we're thinking. This isn't a picture of like good animals over here and bad animals over here, because both sheep and goats were part of the larger culture, and goats were actually really good, beneficial animals, and there was nothing shameful about having goats, and they often mingled them together all day long, but at night they would separate them. Because the sheep, you know, they're woolly bully. They can handle cold temperatures. But the goats had to go into a much smaller pen together in order to be able to keep warm. Goats were great to have as a part of your herd because they ate the really hard, dry, like thorny, thistly brush on the ground and took care of that part of your field. The sheep are super bougie. They need like only fresh, soft, green, like organic, non-GMO grass. Like they need all the good things over here, but the goats can take care of a lot of the hard stuff. So, so this goat and sheep analogy is not like good people over here and bad people over here because at the end of the day, scripture explains to all of us very clearly, we're all bad people. Every one of us is a sinner. And so what does this ultimately mean for people? Are we the sheep and the goats in the story? Well, in this story, just like the sheep and the goats, when the nations are gathered, they will be sorted. It says, all the nations will be gathered before him, the son of man who's seated on a throne, and he will separate people one from another, just like a shepherd separates sheep and goats. Nations is a really important word in this passage of scripture because it literally means Gentiles. It basically means non-Jewish people. This is, this is the not-Israel group of people. So, so we're diving into the portion of the final judgment where it's literally not-Jewish people. And it's you and I and our deeds are weighed. And is this a picture of end times theology? Is this some sort of, hey, this is what's going to happen to all the people who aren't by blood related to God through the nation of Israel? This is about the Gentiles. And scholars differ on their understandings of whether or not this is before the millennial reign of Christ or after the millennial reign of Christ or somehow in the middle of the millennial reign of Christ and who those people are. But one thing's clear for us, that this story is ultimately about eternity. The whole purpose of this story is to help people understand eternity. It says at the end, they will go away to eternal, that's forever punishment, but the righteous to eternal, that's forever life. There's nothing about this story that doesn't indicate for us what's going to happen after this moment. This is all about the future. 
Christ is going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be convicted. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be resurrected, and ultimately, he's going to be ascended. The Holy Spirit's going to come down and infiltrate the lives of believers, and they're going to be set on fire with a mission around the world to see people come to faith. This is about eternity, but it takes really careful study and a huge, big-picture mindset to sift through what's already come, what is now, and what is yet. You see, we're living 2,000 years after this, and and so we have to sit and evaluate, did the words of Jesus and the prophetic things that he said, did the words of Isaiah or Daniel and any of the prophetic words that they said, did the story of what John revealed that happened in the book of Revelation, has some of that already happened? Is some of it going on right now in my day and in your day and in our generation, or is some of it still yet to come because scripture toggles back and forth from Old Testament to New Testament over the first coming of Jesus and also the second coming of Jesus. And so we invite careful study to figure out what it is he's talking about and who we are in the story. We, we go down to the idea of this being Gentile nations. And what we do know is that there's another picture of people in this story. It's whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did unto Jesus. So he looks out at the Gentile unbelieving world and says, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did unto me. So maybe we're not the sheep and the goats. Maybe we're the least of these brothers and sisters of his. Every single moment in the book of Matthew where he talks about brothers and sisters, he's talking about a believing body of people who follow him. So what if this whole story is somehow about the way the nations of people out there who desperately need to know Jesus are invited to come and become people of faith because of the way they perceive us and knowing Jesus? Somehow or another, here's what we can glean. The connection uh, in how we treat other believers and how we draw unbelievers is clear. John 13, 35 says this, by everyone Jesus is talking, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Tertullian, the first North African theologian in the second century, he marveled at the way that believers treated one another, and he thought to himself, hey, I bet, it's in your notes this morning, I bet that pagans out there, people that don't know the God of Israel, people that haven't yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ, are probably looking at each other and marveling and saying, wow, they love each other so well. It's like they're ready to die for each other. Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes to the church and says, therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers, especially those who belong to the family of believers, as if in some way people outside the church, seeing the way people in the church love one another, somebody might come to believe in Christ. We can imagine that the early church grew in number because people were attracted to whether they loved and served one another. You know, Christ warned us in Scripture that we would be hated. He, he, he gave a, a really clear warning. It's in Matthew chapter 10. You will be hated by everyone. And this word can literally mean every single collective person on the planet. Or it can be that same dramatic picture that every middle school girl says that says, everybody hates me. Well, the truth is not everybody hates you. Maybe one person hates you, but not every. But the general consensus is believers were not liked and not 
well treated, certainly in the first century, and it happens even today in the world. Jesus said it. It's a warning. It shouldn't surprise us. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And if believers are hated by many, doesn't it make sense that the reception we receive from a few is that much sweeter? Believers will be hated, but the only response that Jesus gives us is compassion. The only response that we are to make in that moment is compassion. He says, but you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. We take a moment for some introspection and maybe even confession because there are moments when the world hating Christians is worn as some sort of badge of honor and we use it as a reason to stir the pot and make them hate us even more. Living cavalier lives that says, so what? Jesus said you're going to hate me, so bring it on. The biblical warning that the world is going to hate us is not an instruction or an invitation to shrug our shoulders and say, okay, well, that's fine. Jesus, just come on back. We're ready for you. And all these people can just go to Flamingo. Um, It's not a permission to be jerks and speed up the process. We are only invited to show compassion. And when we do, we submit to Christ. We, we submit to Jesus. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, Paul says. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. This world that we live in and this life that we walk as believers in Jesus should be hard and it should require sacrifice. And I hope the very obvious cursory takeaway from this passage is that we want to look a whole lot more like the sheeps in this story than we ever do the goats, evaluating and perceiving and receiving the needs of the world as our opportunity to show compassion and to serve in some sort of suffering relief and some sort of gospel furthering mission. But I I hope we also understand from this that our goal should always be that there are way more sheep than goats. God said it in Ezekiel 33, 11. He said, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the deaths of the wicked, but rather that they would turn and come from their ways and live. So we show compassion to an unbelieving world so that we might submit to Christ and so that we might soften the hearts of pagans and win the world. Peter wrote to the church, hey, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds the way you love one another, the way that you serve the world, that they may see it and glorify God on the day that he visits. Some some way in scripture, he said not only that the world would hate us, but he also said that by receiving us well, they might know and follow Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples as he sent them out to go and serve, hey, listen, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Somehow, by the nations being gathered, 
They're evaluated on how they treated and received believers. And so let's be the kind of believers that invite them to not only love us, but somehow by loving and receiving us, they could love and receive Jesus. That's the goal, that there would be more sheep. In some ways, uh, believers in Jesus living any sort of cavalier, reckless lives that they want to live is inviting people to turn away from that, reject us, and thereby rejecting Jesus. They're becoming goats. And they'll be cast away without an opportunity to know him. Because this is Mission Sunday and because we get to celebrate the way that God is working in the world, I want to invite Chris Hardy. Um, He serves on staff for Justice and Mercy International. Come have a seat for us. Um, Serves on staff for our missions agency. And this is an opportunity for us to continue learning the ways that God is working in the world um, and the ways that we can better understand sheep and goats because it's real life out there, and we understand that it's real life that's happening, and ultimately, even loss that's happening if people don't know Christ. Thanks for coming. Yeah. I appreciate you doing it. Thank you for having me, Nick. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions. Obviously, the way that JMI works in the world has changed in the last 18 months. So give us an update on what's happening in Brazil and Moldova, obviously because of COVID-19, and the ways that you've seen God work in those places in spite of the challenges that they face. So, um, you know, when the pandemic hit this last year, uh, we realized a couple of things. One is that um, we have staff on the ground, and so our ministry didn't stop. Mm. And all of our staff, we have about 40 in Moldova and about five with some contract folks in the Amazon. So ministry didn't stop at all. It just continued. And the second thing that, and that was a blessing, because a lot of our friends in other agencies had to come home. Mm-hmm. And so we had teams there on the ground to continue ministering. Second thing we realized was that uh, people were hungry and mm-hmm. they needed food and they needed uh, p- personal protective equipment. They needed medication. And so we just kind of paused what we normally are doing and we pivoted to allow folks to be fed Uh, We started delivering food bags and hygiene bags, personal protective equipment, medication, Mm -hmm. oxygen in the Amazon. Uh, They ran out of oxygen, and you may think, well, oxygen is what we breathe. Uh, And it is, yes, but we needed tanks to allow folks who were suffering from COVID-related symptoms to have oxygen, to breathe that in. And so we just started providing oxygen. And by the Lord's help, and through his provision, we've delivered, gosh, probably in both countries, 25,000 food bags. Um, we have provided hygiene bags and nearly 200,000 medications wow. to folks that they just ran out. So we saw God do that, and it's, it really has been amazing to watch him work. You know, when we, um, when we join God in what he's doing, Uh, He will bring the resources, and he will uh, bring the results. He'll make the impact. And so we don't have a resource problem is what I've kind of learned this year. We have a joining God problem. Uh A worker problem. A worker problem, which you just mentioned, but we don't have a resource problem. The resources are all God's. 
We have, um, as a part of a three-year initiative called For the Kingdom, um, in the life of our church, all of our campuses, three years ago, we set forth this, like, five big goals. And the first is that we would get to find a home for our Nolansville campus, and by God's grace, we did. Find a home for the Nashville campus. It's our permanent facility, and by God's grace, we did. Um, other initiatives were expanding our ministry to families and children in Franklin, which, by God's grace, it's happening, and it's open, and it's good. Um, but the, the one that we kind of are the most excited yeah. about, but I'm nervous about, is the idea that we would get to purchase a couple of new homes in Moldova for kids in the transitional living program to live in. Where are we in that process? Yes. Uh, right now, we are expanding our ministry down into Moldova, uh, down in the south of Moldova. We're in the north and in the central part of Moldova. And so we're really laying the base for our sponsorship program, and we're developing relationships in lots more villages. Right now, I think we're in six or seven villages in the south. Uh, we're in nearly over 30 villages uh, in the rest of the country. And so we're expanding that so that we can have a base and we can also have recognition from village parents and mayors and social assistants so that they can know who JMI is, Excellent. who we are. And then as we grow that, we'll purchase the homes and uh, ultimately develop, you know, our transitional living program in the South for vulnerable teenagers. And that's where we're headed with that. And as a part of our sponsorship commitment there, we selected nine, is it 90, is that the total? 90 number? kids. 90 kids yeah. um, that Rolling Kills would specifically sponsor. Um, that people from our campuses would say, we'll step up and sponsor these 90 kids. They're not on a website somewhere for churches in Virginia or California to say, oh, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to sponsor this kid. These are Rolling Hills kids that we're going to sponsor. And so you can see we're 36 out of 90 have been sponsored. How can we be a part of that? Like, what's the logistics of us jumping on yeah, that Yeah, absolutely. In your bulletin today, uh, and if you'll just kind of pull that out, there is a, you'll see a, a QR code and all you have to do is scan that QR code. It will take you directly to the page to sponsor a kid. Folks, we've had kids on uh, our site, and we've pulled them out for Rolling Hills that have been on there for like, I think I just saw one that was 550 days. Mm. That's, that's nearly, nearly two years, a year and a half of, of a child waiting to be sponsored. So we're asking all of Rolling Hills and all of our campuses to consider sponsoring a kid today. What that involves for sponsorship is that those kids receive four times a year clothing and food, uh, I mean clothing and shoes to just help them with uh, what they need. They're vulnerable kids so they have nothing. Uh, it provides food for them, it provides hygiene supplies, mm -hmm. Uh, it allows them to come to our events that we hold, and we, we have sponsorship teams that meet with those kids every month. We're sharing the gospel with them every month. We're having kids come to Christ because of this. Uh, it's just an incredible opportunity. You also, as a sponsor, get to develop a relationship with this child. That's what I love about JMI is that we're just not some big sponsorship organization and you never know your kid and you never hear mm -hmm. from your kid. If you sponsor a child through JMI, you're going to hear from your kid every month. Wow. And you have the opportunity to write your kid every month. And uh, that's just such a big blessing for sponsors. So we're just asking you uh, to please consider sponsoring today.
And if you have a QR code problem, which I know that's just hard sometimes, um, Carrie and CG who work at JMI will be in the back at the table that we have at the conclusion of the service and help you figure that out. They're available to answer any questions that any of us might have um, and to talk about other things that are happening this fall, like the gala, um, opportunities to actually sign up to go on a mission trip. We took all of 2020 off. We couldn't travel internationally. Now things are opening back up to where we can plan trips. And so there is a scheduled boat trip down the Amazon in Brazil um, that people can inquire about and sign up for. There's a Christmas in Moldova trip, which is one of the best that I've ever been on. It's and great. just an incredible oh, opportunity the to trip. celebrate the holidays with kids who may not have another opportunity to do that. So there's great opportunities and resources in the back. Don't leave today without checking that out because it's a really good opportunity. Last question. Yeah, Here so. we go. Um, we understand that missions is serving. It's us seeing um, the homeless and the naked and the hungry and the sick and meeting them, sheep in the story, being those people. But it's never totally selfless because we always get something back. What's the best thing that you've ever received as a part of God's missionary work in this oh, that's world? That's such a good question. Um, you know, our life, my wife and my life, it has been transformed hmm. by missions. Uh, I've been in pastoral ministry all my life. And then God called us to JMI, and it just changed our lives. Um, meeting the least of these um, not only has impacted me, but it's caused my heart to break open for those people that Jesus came to save. You know, he didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Mm -hmm. And so... It, that has just changed me forever. I don't think I'll ever be able to do anything else but to just go and share the good news with people uh, that have never heard and that, that need Jesus. And it just, it's what it gets me up every day. Uh, it's what causes me to smile. Hey, thank you for uh, that. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. And I pray that all of us get to experience that. Hey, thank you, Chris. I appreciate oh, yeah. it. As a part of God's extended blessings in the way that we have seen um, him work in both of these countries, um, they got a big blessing this year. And so we want you to also be able to hear from the national directors in Moldova and in Brazil um, and the way that God is continuing to provide. So check this out. Dear Rolling Hills, uh, Jeff, all of the members of this big family that we love so much, I'm here to thank all of you for all of your support, your prayers, your generosity. Um, and how much you have truly cared for the Amazon people. Not only, of course, like through all of these years that you have been not only supporting your work here, but physically and, and personally come uh, to minister and love uh, the river people in the Amazon. This last year was no doubt the hardest year for us in ministry here and through this difficult here. I cannot tell you how vital and important it was um, to first know that the Lord was with us and um, the Lord chose also to be present with us through so many of you and through this church as a whole as you guys were covering us in prayer but also uh, providing abundantly for us to send out um, you know just urgent urgent needs um, and provisions for the people here, but also a national staff who I am personally so proud of and who have put their life on the line and chose to um, expose themselves to the risk of being contaminated and to getting sick in order to actually save lives 
uh, especially the last year, and I cannot thank you enough for the sacrificial effort that you're making in order for our staff to be even better um, taken care of through their financial um, income every month. And so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, just carrying us as we are uh, right here on the ground carrying the gospel and the love of Jesus to places that um, are not aware of his grace and his love and his hope just yet. So we cannot wait to have you here on our new boat um, this coming year. We love you so much and we're so, I commend you for the mission-minded uh, church that you are and how that impacts the kingdom of God right here in the Amazon. Thank you so much. Dear Ron Hills, uh, just as a mercy, Moldova staff wants to thank you for the wonderful help you just offered and believe all of us are very helpful. Thank you so much. Uh, this will be a great support and help for us and for our families. We feel loved and appreciated. And we also appreciate your love, your prayers and your support. Thank you so much for um, the support you offer daily and for understanding how important this ministry is for God's kingdom and for raising the new generation of Moldovan children who are going to change the future of the country. And all together, Jeremiah Moldova staff, we want to thank you. Thank you, Rolling Hills. What you're seeing is our staff in Moldova um, be able to open up a raise for this year um, for the ways that they've served. And you think about just the economy all over the world and the way that they were able to receive um, even a bonus for the difficult, difficult work that they do. Um, and I think about these national directors, and what I want you to know is that, is that when they have a problem, when they identify a need, and they're trying to figure out who, who in the world can we reach out to, first, they're hitting their knees in prayer. They're asking Jesus. But they're also saying, Rolling Hills, can you help us? It's a church connection, and it takes every single one of us doing our part to see both of these organizations win in their respective countries and change the world to be the hands and feet and to offer the food and the clothes and the drinks and the resources and the medicine and the opportunities. Like, it's, it's us. They're saying, eighth grader next door from Texas, Rolling Hills from Nashville, can you help us? It's us being able to respond to that need. And I want you to know, sheep and goats, it's, it's a double purpose. Because when an unbelieving world here sees that we care for the needs of people there, their guard might go down a notch. And they might say, okay, I recognize those people doing some good in the world. I want to know more about that. And somehow or another, by being softened towards us, they might be softened towards Jesus. I know personally the staff at JMI, and I know both of these national directors, and I think that they would say to us this kind of a thank you, and you do great work, but I would want to say thank you to them. Because of what they do, it allows us a chance to partner and be more like Jesus. Because of what they do, it allows us to 
Stop looking at all the noise in the world and for a second focus on what matters. Because of what they invite us to participate in the world, it helps us soften an antagonistic culture around us and prove to any skeptic and any critic who might look at believers as being something other than what we proclaim to be and say, hmm, when they do that, they're not so bad. And I might want to know more. And somehow or another, by being softened to us, brothers and sisters of his, they might be softened to him. We, we, we are in this together. Missionally speaking, I know that you guys come here on Sunday mornings and you think, oh, if those shower up trailers were just moved, we'd have some places to park. And I get inquiries from the neighborhood around here. Why do y'all have all those trailers parked on here? And we say, that's an organization called Shower Up, and we allow them to park here for free to keep their resources close to Center City where they can go and provide showers for people who are houseless in our community. And you better believe that somebody in this neighborhood, when they hear that, they are softened to this church. I, I love the idea that we get to partner with local missions, organizations. Preston Taylor Ministries does tutoring in our building five days a week for kids in schools around this area that need support. And we just invited another group to come and to be here every afternoon. And some of you guys volunteer with that. It's incredible. That softens antagonistic people around the world to think, hey, that church may not be so bad. Maybe I want to hear a little bit more about Jesus Somehow, you and I being sheep might soften some goats and invite them to come and to know Jesus too. And that's our purpose, to be the help and then to receive the help, understanding that that's someone's opportunity to know and to follow Jesus. That's our missional purpose. And we want to join together and everybody participate to make it happen. This morning when you leave, you get to pick up a t-shirt, if you haven't already, and it says Do Good Local because we're unveiling a whole extra component of missions ministry in the life of our church, and we're excited about that. There's a brochure that's coming to you guys to tell you more about the ways that you can serve locally. You can learn today about ways that you can serve internationally because it's every single one of us being sheep, but then inviting other people to join us in the work and to know Jesus in the process. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you so much for this day and the chance to be in this place and to celebrate the good things that you're doing. Um, Father, thank you for JMI, and we pray a prayer of blessing over that organization and the incredible work that's happening literally all over the world to see people receive the resources that they need to relieve the suffering that they have, but to ultimately get a picture of the gospel because we desperately want to be a part of the solution that says your gospel will be preached in all nations, and then the end will come. And we know that that end ushers you back onto a throne where you are gloriously received. And so God, today we pray that we would answer and be a part of that gospel mission in the world. Live out our calling as sheep to see other people served so that many can come to know Jesus. It's in his name that we pray today. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcasts, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.